Hi everybody, I'm Chase Raz, and this is episode 55 of Multi New Media. This episode is for the week of October 31st, 2016, so happy Halloween and happy Samhain to everybody out there if you happen to be dressed like a ghoul or a goblin and out collecting candy. Um, throughout the month of October, speaking of candy, all of our three major tech companies that are consumer and business facing have had special events. And I'm, I'm, of course, talking about Apple, Google, and Microsoft. Now, these events happen rather routinely in October, and they give us a little bit of a heads up about what's coming over the holiday season and into the next year, so what to expect for 2017. Today, I just want to take a few moments and walk through some of the events that happened, or all three of the events that uh, happened, rather, from these companies and um, take a look at what this means to us in business, what this means for us as consumers in the holiday season, and in general, what it means for the flow and the future of the tech industry. So welcome back. Uh, First things first, Google had their event way back on October 4th, and this was called the Made by Google event. And just imagine Made by Google, all one word, lowercase as a hashtag, right? So this idea that Google is advocating and promoting the fact that, yes, they too can make hardware. Now, hardware wasn't the only focus of the Google event, but we'll come back to that in just a moment. I want to follow up by saying that Microsoft held their event much more recently on October 26th, and this was a Windows 10 event, and then Apple followed up a day later with their October 27th. Oh, I love the way Apple names their events, though. Get this, the Apple Special Event October 2016. So uh, simple and straight to the point. Back to Google, though. Google really started off this season of special events by talking about artificial intelligence. That's what they put first and foremost into their presentation. That, of course, was a lead-in to Google Assistant, which is essentially the rebranded second attempt at Google Now to make Google Now smarter, to make it much more personable, much more of a digital assistant like we may think Siri or Cortana to be. But this idea of Google Assistant was front and center with Google's event. Now, I'm sure you've seen some of the news about the Google Assistant, and it's exactly what you might think it is. Um, The benefit of something like Google Assistant, though, over a Siri or Cortana, is that it does seem to have a lot more breadth of knowledge or ability to answer in an audio-only environment. Now, this may make you think of Amazon's Echo product and Alexa, but we're going to come back to that in just a little bit. What, what Google was really advocating with the Google Assistant wasn't so much that you can get information at home or in the car or anywhere uh, else specifically. It was much more of the Microsoft type of strategy of one assistant on all devices, or as Google kept saying, one assistant across all devices. But that device focus led Google to in, to announce their new line of Google Pixel phones. Now, Pixel, uh, even Google pointed out during their, um, during their event that Pixel is the name they use for their high-end hardware, and uh, we, we, we really don't see anything deviating from what we would expect from some high, high-end Google 
hardware. Of course, Google Pixel phones, they're going to come in two different varieties. Don't want to do uh, so much of a news recap because this was about a month ago, and I want to get more into the context of what this means. But Google moving or, or staying rather in hardware and navigating away from the Nexus line of mid-range devices um, and, and keeping with stock Android and keeping with you know, putting new things first on Google hardware. But what does it mean to take Pixel, to take the high-end software, to have this Made by Google event? Well, it signals something that I think some of us saw coming, but we we weren't quite sure of. And that is that Google is not only trying to follow Apple's footsteps and, and creating a really great product, but they're really going more so after Microsoft's strategy of innovating the field through their own flagship products. Now, I'm going to look at each of these companies uh, in this manner, looking at Google compared to Apple and Microsoft, and Microsoft compared to Apple and Google, and you get the idea. But when I'm talking about Google taking more of a Microsoft strategy here, understand that Apple is their own closed ecosystem. We know this, OS X or, or Mac OS or iOS, it's a closed ecosystem. Now, Microsoft has had difficulties in the past of getting their OEM partners up to speed to be competitive, to be able to compete with the apples of the world who can innovate as much as they want by containing the entire or by controlling the entire ecosystem. Google's starting to hit some of that pressure as well, I think. That's where this positioning of Pixel as a high-end phone, we're talking $650 and up, and, and starting to put some of Android's newest features on this device first and then let the OEMs follow. That's a very Microsoft strategy, uh, almost reminiscent of what we saw Microsoft do with Lumia, uh, Lumia devices after they acquired Nokia before killing that division off for, um, for all intents and purposes. But I do think that Google is trying to be the innovator in the field and show through reference devices, consumer reference devices nonetheless, what's possible within the Android ecosystem. What I found to be a little bit more interesting about Google's presentation, though, even uh, even more than their mirroring of Microsoft's strategy with the Google Pixel or um, advocating for artificial intelligence with Google Assistant, was then this change of pace at the end to look at consumer products that can fulfill the realization of artificial intelligence. Now, when we're talking artificial intelligence in the sense of Google's announcement or maybe Microsoft's announcement later, you have to understand we're not talking about true end-of-the-line artificial intelligence of a self-aware, cognizant computing device. We're talking about machine learning and deep learning algorithms. So Google's taking this unique approach that not necessarily the other two big companies are, are doing and looking at how they can get home products into consumer hands simply for the reason of being the end point for this artificial intelligence. Now, the home products that Google announced uh, had to do with virtual reality, which, uh, of course, really doesn't have much to do with AI backing. That's much more of a, um, uh, this is a technology that's here and now at the cutting edge, kind of a land grab. But when we talk about their Wi-Fi routers that Google announced, their new Chromecast device, and then Google Home, which is a very Amazon Echo-style product, where you interface with this new Google Assistant, which, remember, was the replacement to Google Now. This push into the home, this fulfillment of artificial intelligence, as I keep pushing it, is one very unique strategy that Google has that Microsoft and Apple aren't going to have. 
Now, Apple, we know, has an arguable weakness in artificial intelligence. We've, we know that they, they don't do cloud collection of data for, for consumer privacy, so on and so forth. All these things that we can look up and, and state that Apple has a real problem in the immediate future when it comes to artificial intelligence and bots and virtual reality and the other types of um, groundswells that we see in technology, both on the business and consumer side. Microsoft doesn't have this problem. They are all in on cloud, but they're going all in on the business side, on the B2B and on the enterprise side. So Google could potentially be in a unique position to be the largest company really trying to hit the consumer space with these devices when Apple and Microsoft, at least for now, are pretty much having to leave this to third parties, whether it's to Amazon or whether it's smaller startups. So that's going to be something really unique to watch from Google is how they play out in the consumer space in the future. Is it going to be with phones like Google Pixel? We have to admit that's probably a niche limited product. Um, not too much appeal there. It's these home products that I think have the most appeal of what Google announced over the past month. Turning our attention to Microsoft for a moment, uh, this event was, was in about three weeks after Google's event and the focus was on Windows 10 primarily on announcing the creators update that will come out in sometime early 2017. That's all great and well, and they talked about things like 3D really being a part of the future, even going so far as to revitalize Microsoft Paint. Yes, you heard me right. You've probably seen it in news stories. But to make 3D a complete, coherent story, this is something that Microsoft did that I don't know if Google was as successful as doing. You heard me a little bit ago talking about all the home products that Google introduced. Now, one of the things I threw out there was VR. And I stated, well, I'm not really sure that that fits in to artificial intelligence and all these other things. Microsoft was much more coherent at painting a picture of from beginning to end, of creating content on a computer using Microsoft Paint or any number of third-party pieces of software they introduced on the stage talking about how you digitize real-world products into 3D models, how you create 3D models, how you then view those things again in augmented and virtual reality, and finally, you can produce these things, whatever they are, through 3D printers. Now, they didn't go too much into 3D printers. They have, uh, Microsoft did that quite a few presentations ago. I, I want to say that was back in 2014 or so. But the idea of fitting virtual reality headsets into this space of a workflow into why we would use them. I think there's a little bit of overlap of Google and Microsoft talking about these two issues, but Microsoft did an arguably much better job about making um, some of these peripheral topics of more important. Now, that wasn't really Microsoft's focus, however, um, for the most part. Of course, that was their focus on Windows 10, but in reality, I think most people are going to look at this event as a, uh, or the Windows 10 labeling of this event as a guise to really get to the new product announcements, which were a new Surface Book, so a second-gen Surface Book, still version 1, uh, but they packed in significantly more power and battery life uh, into the existing model and into the brand-new Surface Studio. Now, if you haven't seen the advertisements for this thing, please, please, please go out and take a look at them. Um, absolutely amazing device. It's essentially, I want to say, a 27, 28-inch desktop all-in-one, super-thin device, that transforms uh, not quite like a two-in-one in the laptop space might, 
but from an upright all-in-one down to an inclined drafting style table. Uh, again, the the entire purpose here is about workflow, is about creativity, is about creating things, hence their creator's update to Windows 10 in 2017. But it is an absolutely impressive device uh, that we see in the Surface Studio announced by Microsoft. For $3,000 for an all-in-one, we're talking businesses only. But right now, if your business is engaged in any type of augmented reality, virtual reality, 3D, drafting, graphics, web design, video editing, so on and so forth uh, in that in that vein, right? right? Anything in a similar vein, then the Surface Studio may actually be a reasonably priced workstation device for some of your employees, even at $3,000. Now, I could go on about some other things that Microsoft did, but again, to put these things in a, into context of what they mean for us, Microsoft and Google, the two companies we've looked at so far, have a very similar vision here that new technologies are coming. In Google's announcement, they focused much more on artificial intelligence. Uh, again, code word for machine learning, for cloud computing, for cloud technologies. I think that Microsoft has already established themselves as interested in that field and, and quite frankly, as the pioneer and the strongest participant within that field. And by going into the quote-unquote creative space, they're signaling that workflows are more important than form factors. This idea that desktop computers are dead, well, here comes the Surface Studio to prove that wrong. To announce that it's not simply that desktops are dead, it's that only certain people need them, and those people who do need them are performing particular work functions that happen to deal with creativity, uh, development, and other workflows. When it comes to virtual reality and augmented reality, yeah, Google is definitely, um, <laughs> has to be ahead of Microsoft in this space, even though the HoloLens exist, and that's our 800-pound gorilla in the room when it comes to augmented reality. Google has devices shipped. While Microsoft does, their evaluation copies, their developer copies, they're for business only at this point. We're talking about the difference between Google coming out with a $79 peripheral that you plug your phone into as opposed to Microsoft coming out with, uh, through their OEM partners, with $300 VR headsets that connect to your desktop, laptop, tablet, whatever. Completely different strategies, completely different visions of how to accomplish the same thing. I do see a little bit of an advantage going to Microsoft here simply because if you have a $300 peripheral for VR or AR, it's much easier to move that across from, let's say, a MacBook to an HP laptop to a uh, Surface uh, tablet back and forth and still be able to get a richness of experience in virtual and augmented reality. Meanwhile, this idea of coming from mobile devices into virtual reality, of plugging your mobile phone into the front as the uh, graphics driver and the video source for for uh, virtual reality, I think that's going to be successful in the long run. However, it's a little bit chintzy now, primarily because you have to be locked into a certain phone or a certain line of phones in order to make those headsets work. In this case, the, the recap I could give so far before moving on to Apple is that Google, Google was very successful at focusing their efforts um, and, and indicating what they need to do in the consumer space. Meanwhile, Microsoft took a different approach and focused on what they need to do in the business world 
to remain competitive and to help increase productivity. We can't really compare these two of which is more exciting or which is more important except by taking the individual vantage point into consideration. If you're a consumer looking for an Amazon Echo competitor, then Google's probably more interesting because they focused on those consumer those consumer devices and services. Whereas Microsoft, all in about content creation, no question about their commitment to cloud, no question about their commitment to artificial intelligence. I think they're just trying to push the envelope, uh, envelope a little bit and revitalize the desktop space, even while retrenching it. All right, so Apple. Apple was the last of these three events, and they held theirs on October 27th. Now, I said earlier that it was a day after Microsoft's event, but from the way I understand it, Microsoft set their date uh, related to Apple setting their date. They wanted to be one day ahead, or at least sometime ahead of Apple. Why? I'm honestly not sure that I know. I can't figure out why Microsoft would find it so important to go before Apple in this case, especially since we know from Apple's event that Microsoft had a little bit of a clue uh, of what was going on. So Apple started their event, and again, I'm not trying to be a news recap, so I'm only going to highlight the the things that are important for uh, our analysis. Apple started their event by talking about Apple TV, not just refreshing the Apple TV devices, but really talking about an Apple TV app and its integration with Siri to be able to understand what shows you watch, where you left off, to be able to stream uh, seamlessly stream um, the content between multiple devices. I, I think this is a great approach that makes people, end users, human beings, interested in the future, but I don't think they gave anywhere near the vision that Google and Microsoft gave in their presentations. Both Microsoft and Google do a significantly better job of selling their vision of content consumption in the future without having to even say a word. Now, forget the fact that both Google and Microsoft fail repeatedly at delivering upon this. I mean, if you want to if you want to get an inside look at that, look at how many times Microsoft has promised DVR ability in the United States for the Xbox One device, promising it and promising it and, and guaranteeing it's coming in 2016. Well, we're two months out uh, from 2017 and we still don't see it. Even still, Apple did a poor job of convincing service providers and businesses why Apple TV matters to anybody but a consumer. Now, the, the power of this is backed by Siri, going back to artificial intelligence, going back to machine learning. But making that available to partners, making that available to the developer community, none of that was necessarily discussed. Yes, there was mention of a couple of different apps utilizing these new tools, but very much in the sense of using Apple's framework, not being able to build or develop any new framework on top of it. This is a swing and a miss for business because businesses are interested in capitalizing on the failure of cable, the failure of satellite, the failure of even streaming services. And Apple, with this prime opportunity, this prime focus on television, failed to deliver that. Now, I don't want to be down on them here. It's just that, of course, Apple has a much more consumer-oriented event. And as I said, Apple TV was a great um, uh, announcement for consumers. What didn't make as much sense was the rest of the presentation. 
After the bit about Apple TV wrapped up, uh, Apple went in and talked about their MacBook refresh, which is something that, what, is two years in the making, and people are really, really ready for it. I, I think it's absolutely wonderful that Apple is continuing to reduce the size and weight of MacBooks, and um, a definite plus for them there. They gave, um, they gave their audience exactly uh, what was wanted, a smaller, lighter, more powerful MacBook. But the bulk of the MacBook refresh time was spent talking about a new introduction to essentially the keyboard of the MacBook. The idea is something called a touch bar. And imagine your keyboard and take the function keys away, and I'm sure you've seen the video, I'm sure you've read the news, and put a very thin, very wide touch screen in the place of the function keys. I almost just have to pause myself from completely scratching my head and wondering what this is even about. The idea of putting a touchscreen, a multi-touch screen for customizable input, for soft keys essentially, right above the keyboard, it absolutely makes sense and I know there are a lot of people excited about this. The problem is that we're talking about Apple devices that are completely locked within their ecosystem. I don't see, at least at this point, too much of a possibility that this is going to spill out and enter into the Windows or the Linux or the rest of the Unix world. I really do think this is going to be isolated right inside of Apple's ecosystem. Now, another reason I think that is because this is not, the touch bar is not an Apple original idea. Now, we're not talking about the fact that neither was the smartphone or neither was the tablet because arguably what Apple did in both of those spaces was unique. They took failed concepts, they completely reinvented those concepts, and then found success. In this case, things like the touch bar have been done by by um, Windows OEM partners. And even Microsoft itself, Microsoft Research, was uh, looking in to something similar to a touch bar years and years ago and decided against it, even going so far in their experiments to where the physical hardware keys that you have would be able to change the icons on them from letters to something else in real time. This isn't a new idea. It's never really found its way into business or computing or even consumer computing. And it's absolutely mind-boggling why Apple would take the time, energy, effort, and resources in putting this this super narrow half-inch touchscreen along the top of a keyboard rather than simply making their laptop's touchscreen. Now, during the event, during the Apple event, they brought up representatives from a couple of different companies. Now, when representatives from Adobe were up and showing photo editing, or even video editing, or looking through images, it almost made sense. It made sense of a small secondary screen that can be utilized for input purposes. But then, the DJ came up. I did notice that as people started seeing what I was seeing, of a DJ coming up and showing how DJ software can be evolved with this touch bar, that the ridicule and the mocking began to flow on places like Twitter. And then I had to start in as well. Imagine a DJ using a half-inch strip of touchscreen rather than what DJs are already able to do using a Surface or a touchscreen Lenovo, or HP, or Dell, or keep listing any other company there, and using the full touchscreen in order to deliver the content that they create. 
Again, we're seeing this theme of content creation and content delivery of how are we going to get virtual reality, augmented reality, streaming video, all of these things. How are we as business people going to get them out? And Google, Microsoft, and Apple all tailored their messages this time to us. Not the us that picks up kids from soccer and still has to make dinner and wants to have a nice phone, but to the us that go into the office every single day, that make business happen, that make the world move forward. They targeted this to us. All three of them. But Apple's the only one that missed so far by taking a complete opportunity to introduce a touchscreen MacBook and introduce instead a touch bar. Now, I've never really been one that's advocated for a touchscreen MacBook. I think it makes sense. I think it's past due. But it doesn't mean I'm out there clamoring for one. I'm not trying to insert my opinion. What I know is that people want touchscreen MacBooks. To come out with this touch bar, the word that was being used online, is that it's a gimmick. I agree with that. I think this is not only gimmicky, but it's a gimmick that feels much more like 2007. A touch bar would have made sense when the original iPhone was introduced, not now at the end of 2016 when we have full multi-screen touch devices. Kudos to Apple again for refreshing the MacBook line, for making them lighter, smaller, thinner, and more powerful. But I think they really could have stopped there. Listen, if you're Apple, you've got a choice. You can either do incremental updates like Google did with the Chromecast and like Microsoft did with Microsoft Paint, or you can go just completely out there for these category killer, these revolutionary things. Google Assistant beating all of the other digital assistants in quantity and substance. Microsoft with the Surface Studio putting all other desktops to shame. Right? You either go all the way out there or you do incremental updates. Not an all the way out there in order to create an incremental update. We already have touch screens. We already have secondary tablets that you can plug into your laptop or another tablet and use as a second touch screen. Why would you need that on your keyboard? Now, don't get me wrong. I would love to have a touch bar. After all of my belly aching about this, I will admit that a touch bar on a device, whether it's an OS X device, whether it's a Windows device, doesn't matter. I think it's a neat idea. But to make that the sole purpose of your event, to make that some massive iteration when it should just be a sub, uh, you know, some type of a footnote of, oh, by the way, here's what we've done with the function keys. I think that if it were going to be a massive announcement, we'd have to look, like I said, at 2007. All right, now let me loop back for a little bit before I, I, I come to the point. I'd mentioned that Microsoft was crazily putting their, uh, uh, their presentation one day before Apple's. And I said that they sort of had a clue as to what was going on. And I say that because even Microsoft is adopting the touch bar in Apple's ecosystem. Apple demonstrated how it's not only Adobe and other software manufacturers, but Microsoft itself that's updating the Microsoft Office suite to utilize this secondary touchscreen, this touch bar. It's not the idea I'm necessarily against. It's the idea of making it sound radical, sound revolutionary, when it truly should be just viewed as an incremental change. 
is the highlight of the story that you refreshed your MacBook or that you changed the world. Don't try to have a change the world narrative if you're not changing the world. All right, so let me get off of my soapbox and conclude with this. I want to conclude with some types of uh, or some type of observation as to how these three companies are painting our future in business. We take a look at Google first. Google signaling to manufacturing or to continuing to manufacture their own hardware, focusing on the high end, focusing on putting new features there first, not only mirrors Microsoft's strategy of old like I mentioned before, but it exemplifies the reality of the Android ecosystem and the Chrome OS ecosystem uh, to boot. Google's in a position where they can't rely on their OEMs as much as they used to be able to in order to get new innovations out, in order to push the envelope, they have to be the first to demonstrate the vision. We're at a point where mobile technology is well understood and well procured. How do you push the envelope? How do you go for the next major invention without seeming like Apple and their touch bar to get a quick jab in there? Google's having to take back ownership of some of the things that they do. They have to have more control over their ecosystem. This is a reality. That tells us that Android is beyond just the the point of being fragmented, which it's been for many years, but that it's in need of vision and steering. Now, it has great market share, so I think this is a wonderful sign that Google's cognizant of the downfalls of Android and is on top of it, that they're cognizant that the world is moving to a cloud-based infrastructure that's powered by artificial intelligence, uh, again, machine learning, and I think that they're giving every single indicator to say, yes, we as Google are going to be competitive. We are not going to allow the people in Seattle, which Amazon and Microsoft, the two largest cloud companies, Google's syndi- uh, indicating they are not going to enable them to just run off with the entire category. That's one point for cloud, one point for mobile. Microsoft's going to come in and give another point for cloud, but they're going to do so in a different way. They're going to do so by simply being Microsoft and focusing on the business. Azure is the second largest cloud provider. Microsoft made no mention of that because this was the October 26th event for Microsoft was a Windows 10 event. What comes next for Windows? And so we can't give a point to mobile because Microsoft has failed horribly in their mobile strategy as we've talked about. They're retrenching. They're going B2B. I do think they'll come out in some form as successful with what they attempt to do next, but not retroactively what they've tried to do before. What Microsoft did give their vote for is artificial intelligence They did give their vote for more services being powered behind the scenes in the cloud. Whether it's using a cell phone camera to scan a real-world object and create a 3D model, or whether it's got something to do with virtual reality, augmented reality, or any other type of mixed reality, Microsoft's putting their money that content creators still need Windows PCs, that they still want to utilize a desktop form factor. And when they are on the go, that a Surface, a tablet, a Surface book is the type of device that they want to interface with to give them the power, yet still the connectivity to the cloud. Artificial intelligence between Google and Microsoft seems to be the real winner. Apple came in and did something completely different. Apple TV, sure, could have talked about artificial intelligence there literally all day, but chose to stay consumer-focused only 
to refresh the MacBook is a positive step forward. But the touch bar, love it or hate it, want it or want nothing to do with it, is an incremental change at best that's being sold as revolutionary. The reality is that Apple shareholders have been concerned about the innovation of the company since Steve Jobs died. Tim Cook proved those people wrong with things like the iPhone 6, the iPhone 7, and the Apple Watch. The question is, how much longer can Apple continue to move forward without revolutionary products? Now I know, I know, that sounds hypocritical. Where's me pressing Google and where is me pressing Microsoft for revolutionary products? But I'm sorry to say this, that Google and Microsoft have the most revolutionary products and don't have to come out and say it, although they do ad nauseum. Google Assistant? That's revolutionary. Being able to simply talk and interface with your computing, whether there's a computer in front of you or not. I know other people beat them to the space, but arguably nobody is better at it than Google. Microsoft redefining category after category after category of form factor. Re-envisioning what Windows itself is. Repositioning itself in ways that it can be successful. And both of these companies jointly going after, not jointly as in partnering, but jointly at the same time going after virtual reality, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and the cloud. My question is, where is Apple in any of this? We know what the future holds. We know what these companies are signaling. Now, whether you and I get involved with VR and AR is something to do in an individual decision in our own businesses. But at least we know clearly and concisely that that's where the industry is headed. At the end of the day, hopefully Apple just had an off month with a little bit of messaging that wasn't quite on the key that we needed to hear. Maybe there's a consumer segment out there that absolutely loved the Apple event and will gobble up Apple TVs and MacBook refresh units as fast as they can. But considering that the MacBook is still under 10% market share in terms of desktop and laptop space and likely will never exceed that again, and that Apple TV has not been much more successful than any of the other TV attempts by competing companies, I'm not sure that we shouldn't turn our attention to Google and Microsoft and a couple of others like IBM and Amazon and Facebook and just let Apple do what it does for a while. Let's not pass too much more judgment than I already have. Let them be who they are, see how their stock price pans out, see what their next couple of events hold, because listen, maybe they just didn't have anything to produce by the end of this year. Don't make a giant assumption just from this one presentation but we do know things we can take away and i'm going to say them one more time virtual reality augmented reality mixed reality artificial intelligence machine learning and cloud computing that's what we know the future of technology is some of these things will pan out more than others some may even fade away in the future but for right now that's where we need to focus if we're pushing boundaries and trying to take the next step. 